Hi, this is Pastor John welcoming you to our broadcast. And we begin our Christmas observations this week, a new series called uh, The Angels of Christmas, where we look at the angel visitations during the gospel narrative, during the birth of Christ narrative. There's some surprising things in here. We all love the season, um, but there's always something learned when we look closely at scripture. So we start today with the story of Zechariah and the sound of silence. Is is this on yet? (laughs) I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in 5 through 25 and beyond. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you to this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me and took away my reproach among people. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. You know, I'm not a good listener. Kelly and I have just entered a new phase of, of our lives. Uh, Rosemary was introduced to her new room yesterday in Leesburg. Um, 
And when Kelly came home, we were both having something of an emotional moment. Uh, and I wanted to just explain things, because that's what I do. I talk. I don't listen real well. And that always hasn't worked for me. I've been trying to learn this lesson, but i got to be honest with you, I don't like silence. I, I don't like that emptiness. I don't like that void. So it makes me slow to listen and quick to speak. At least until recently, I haven't enjoyed silence. But I'm learning. I'm learning that silence can be, silence can be a gift. You ever look at it that way? If we're patient enough to learn from it, it can be a gift. And we're going to see how that works in today's sermon. So let, let me talk to you about angels for a little bit and what, what the, the Jewish people thought about angels. They kind of didn't look at them the same way we did. Uh, they, they, to them, angels were real. They were just as real as everybody else was. They knew there was something unusual, something supernatural about them. But they were real, and they were, they were messengers. They always came for a reason. They always brought the Word of God. They always stood in God's presence and, and bore His message. And the, the messages were almost all the time, they were difficult. They were hard. And frequently, they were messages of judgment, a warning of judgment. So for the next three Sundays, we're going to take a look at the angels of Christmas, the most stunning visitation of all visitations by angels in the Bible happened right here in this gospel narrative. So I want you to buckle your seatbelts. I want you to be prepared to be challenged because we're going to take a look at what the Bible text actually says as opposed to what we think it says. And let me tell you something. There are a few surprises in there. Nothing is going to change your mind about who Jesus Christ is, but it might be, there might be some things in there that change your mind about what this gospel story, this birth of Jesus narrative looks like. So they're, they're, these are stories of incredible blessing. They're stories of supernatural grace. And this is part one, and I call it the sound of silence with all due respect to a singing duo from the 60s and 70s. So our story is going to roll out in four different segments this morning. Uh, we're going to see Zachariah's spouse in verses 5 through 7 of Luke chapter 1. We'll see Zachariah's service in verses 8 and 9. We will see Zachariah's silence in verses 10 through 25. And then we're going to take a look at Zachariah's song in a passage we haven't read yet in verses 57 through 80. So... Uh, I hope you didn't have a roast in the oven. Yeah. Let's take a look at segment number one here, Zechariah's spouse. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Let me tell you what's happening here. This goes all the way back to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, where David organizes the priests uh, and the priesthood that's going to serve in the, in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple. There are 24 divisions uh, of, among the sons of Aaron, and they're, they're picked by Lot. Abijah uh, is the eighth division, and Zechariah is a descendant of Abijah, who was a descendant himself of Levi. That's where the Levites came from. So Zechariah, whose name means Jehovah renowned, Jehovah revealed, Jehovah made known, 
comes from a long line of priests and a rich heritage of service and sacrifice to the Lord. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth means the God of the oath, the God of his word, the God of commitment, the God of covenant. So traditionally, the priests would marry within their tribe, and that's exactly what happened here. And what Luke wants us to see in this is two people that have spent a lifetime of dedication and observance to their faith and the traditions of their faith. They're committed. They're working hard to do it. Verse 6 says, and they were both righteous before God. We need to pay attention to this. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This has to be taken in the context of them being human beings. They're not perfect. They have their flaws. They have their stumbles. They're just as righteous as anyone can get and still be a human being, kind of like Job, kind of like Noah. And so they're not perfect, but they, there's only one truly righteous one, and he has yet to make an appearance in this narrative. So they're just, they're good people. They're good, faithful people. Verse 7 says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, that, that verse right there should grab our attention if we're familiar with the scriptures, if we're familiar with the Old Testament. It's an indicator that God is about to do something extraordinary, about to do something supernatural. Whenever we see a barren woman in scripture, it occurs at a pivotal moment, and God reveals this moment right here to get our attention and to kind of say, watch this closely. This is important. So we saw it with Abraham and Sarah, when Abraham receives the promise, we saw it with Isaac uh, and Rebekah when the promise moves to Isaac. We saw it with Rachel and Leah and Jacob with the birth of the 12 tribes. We saw it with Hannah, mother of Samuel, and we saw it in several other cases in the Old Testament, each of them giving birth to a significant figure in Israel's history. So this is God just laying the groundwork. All that was God just tilling the soil and saying, watch this, these things. Here's how I work. And now we meet Elizabeth, wife of a priest, wife of a righteous man, righteous herself, a couple with no children. And by this time in their life, there's no hope of them having children. Yet Elizabeth was a good woman. Zechariah, a good man. He's a priest. He's one charged with ministering before the Lord in the temple. And they were childless. That would have caused the people around them to look at them with some doubt. I think that God had little regard for them. That God somehow was punishing them or making them pay for something. That's how the people around him saw him, but God saw this couple a little bit differently than the people around him did. And God is about to do in them what God does. He's about to create something beautiful and glorious out of nothing. God would do the impossible. He would bring life from, from something that was unable to produce life, and it would be spectacular. It would be glorious, and, and this is not even the main event. It's not even the, the primary event of significance here. This is just the lead up to it. So let's take a look at Zechariah's service, what got here. Segment number two. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, <coughs> that sounds pretty routine, doesn't it? I mean, he's a priest, he's going to go to the temple, he's going to do stuff, right? It's routine until you look at the numbers. By the time of Jesus, there were still 24 divisions. But in those 24 divisions, there were in all 18,000 priests. You know, think about this. That means there were 750 priests in Zechariah's division. Each division served for one week at a time. Uh, There's a variety of tasks that they had to perform. There were a bunch of different things they did. They were assigned their tasks by casting lots. We've talked about this before, but there are several ways that they would cast lots. Some of them might be bones that had a little mark on them, you know, kind of the precursors of dice. Uh, others might be coins that they would flip to see which side it would land on. Um, but another method, which was probably the one that they used, was they would put sticks of different lengths or maybe different colored sticks in a bowl and shake the bowl until one stick would pop out. And that color would have been assigned to a particular person or a particular event. That's probably what they did here. All of them were designed to reveal God's will, thinking that God would cause the the right bones to fall in the right place or the right coin flip or the right stick to pop out. And we would look at this and call it a game of chance. They would call it an act of faith, that a sovereign God controls everything. So they're going to trust God to make the right stick, the right coin, the right bones to fall in the right place. One of those tasks was to burn incense. They did that twice a day, once early in the morning after dawn and once at twilight. So of the 750 priests, 14 would be chosen to do this on the week that they served. And if they go once every 24 weeks, because there's 24 divisions, that would take 53 rotations for all of them to be able to serve in some capacity. And that would be over 24 years. So they retired at 50 years old. The Levites were told to unburden themselves at 50 years old. Um, It was very unlikely that any of them would get to do more than one task, even if they got a chance to do that. So this, this, this idea that they have here is maybe this is once in a lifetime for Zechariah. The incense that they're talking about symbolized several different things. The altar of incense stood directly in front of the veil that guarded the holy of holies, the holiest of holy places. And the incense was offered up as a sweet aroma to the Lord. But there's more to it than that. Because together, the incense and the lampstand stood for the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that went before the, Lord, before the Lord's people as they, he took them out of Egypt. The lampstand was the light. The, the incense was the smoke. And so it represented the presence of God's people leading and protecting his people. God went before them as a pillar of fire in the night, pillar of smoke in the day. But we also find out elsewhere in Scripture that this aroma from the incense represents the prayers of the saints. So everything that happened in the temple had meaning and purpose. The burning of incense was a sacred ritual that looked back on God's blessing, his provision and protection, and looked forward to the same thing, to his promises and his continued protection and provision for the people of Israel. And that's the task that falls to Zechariah. 
In verse 9, it says, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, given the number of the priests who were chosen, we talked about this, this is his moment. This is the high point of Zechariah's life. In his mind, God has chosen him for this particular ministry, this particular moment. He's trained all his life. And this is it. A lifetime of service comes to an incredible set of events. And that leads us to segment number three, Zechariah's silence. Starting with verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. (coughs) As tradition would have it, the people gathered in and around the temple to pray while the priest offered up the incense. And while they were praying uh, in the inner courts of the temple, uh, verse 11 says, there appeared to him, you got to see this, (laughs) there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So this is the moment this righteous and godly man would have hoped for. This is beyond his expectation, but all the priests longed for a visitation, some manifestation of the Lord. And for it to actually happen would be incredibly overwhelming and and just a little bit scary. Why would it be scary? Well, remember why the angels came. They had difficult messages. And now it's happening right there in front of Zechariah. And as much preparation as he had, we can appreciate this. He's not ready for this. Oh my, it's really happening. Uh, Put on top of that, God has been virtually silent for 400 years. Last we heard, the people of Israel had fallen behind again, and the the next word is that there's going to be a Savior coming, and then there's no prophet in Israel. We get that from the book of Maccabees. There's no prophet in Israel for 400 years. Nobody bringing the word of the Lord. They didn't even know where to put the altar in the temple because there was no prophet. Now Zechariah has this angel. Wow. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Angels are frequently the harbinger of judgment. But there's something else going on here, and I think we can appreciate this. Zechariah is incredibly aware of his own frailty his own humanness, his own imperfection. Any truly righteous man would understand his own unworthiness to stand before a member of the heavenly host. I think this is another reason that people always fall down on their face when there's some sort of manifestation of a member of the heavenly host because they realize how unworthy they are to be visited by holiness, by true righteousness. Wouldn't you like to see an angel? I mean, don't we think along these lines at Christmas time? I'd like to see an angel. Zachariah was thinking the same thing until the angel showed up. And my question to you is, what would you do if 
you said, God, let me see an angel. And one walked in the room and said, hi, how you doing? <laughs> what would your reaction be? So Zacharias just undone. He's in fear. Oh, what's going to happen to me? He's kind of like Isaiah, you know, falling before the Lord and realizing he's unworthy. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. They say that all the time, don't they? Don't be afraid. I can see you're quaking in your boots. Calm down. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Whoa! Whoa, what kind of news is this? It's absolutely incredible. And it's hard to believe. Elizabeth, pregnant. Of course, if that happened, everyone would celebrate. But there's more. Verse 15, listen to this. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So much for, for when life occurs. Amen? And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, Zechariah understands his scriptures. He gets it. He knows that the angel is describing all of the prophecies that Elijah will return and that this will happen just before the appearance and the arrival of the Messiah. And the mind-blowing aspect of all this is this prophet, this foreteller, this forerunner of the Lord, is going to be Zechariah's son. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, I mean, you got to hear the way he said it. <laughs> How am I going to know that? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. This is not a humble inquiry. It's not Zechariah going, gee, how will I tell? Tell me, give me all the details. It's the tone of Zechariah's question that reveals that he has some doubts. He's not sure about this. He's an educated, scripturally astute man. He's devoted his life to the Word of God, who uses his application in his daily walk. He's married to a godly woman. He's respected in his community for his position. He's known for his piety, known for his devotion. It's not to say that Zachariah is proud or arrogant because pride or arrogance just wouldn't fit well with him being righteous. But what he just heard doesn't really fit well with what he knows to be real. He's not connecting those dots. The angel just told him that something supernatural was about to occur in his life that will have ramifications, not just for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for all the Jewish people, indeed, for all the people in the world. Just told him about a pivotal moment in the history of mankind. So Zechariah is having a rough time believing this to be true. 
Maybe by now he's given up hope of God ever answering the prayers that he and Elizabeth has had for a child. She's beyond childbearing age. He still has hope that the Messiah is going to come. He's a man of faith. He's pretty sure that it's not going to happen through him. So he questions the angel. And the tone gives him away. And Zechariah does what many of us would do. He explains to this heavenly visitor why what he's hearing is impossible. It's almost as if he looks at the angel and says, maybe you don't realize who you came to visit. I'm not sure that you're aware of all the details. Aren't we kind of in the hobby of, of explaining to God what he should do and how he should do it? So, so let me get you caught up, Mr. Angel. Elizabeth is barren, and we're too old. I don't see this happening between us. My wife is beyond childbearing years, and I'm not so in it and sure that I want to have a kid. That's Zachariah. The angel's response is immediate. Verse 19, he says, I am Gabriel. Whoa. He's not just any angel. This is Gabriel. There are only two angels named in all of the Scripture, Gabriel and Michael. Jewish literature, Second Temple uh, literature, tells us that they, they were believed to be archangels, the angels among angels. Uh, so as far as the Jews are concerned, this angel is a very important angel, very important messenger. And Gabriel explains, now that he's heard Zachariah's explanation, he said, well, let me tell you who I am. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He's saying, the Father has given me these words. And he sent me to you, Zachariah. There's no mistake about who I'm talking to. The only mistake that's happening here is that you're doubting the word of God. Verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now notice, there are consequences. There are earthly consequences for Zachariah's doubt, for Zachariah's questioning. But there's no condemnation. And the angel's not standing there saying, you know, Zechariah, you just messed up. I'm going to have to find someone else. So there are consequences, but no condemnation. And Zechariah will remain silent, and his last words, I guarantee you, will continue to ring in his ears, how shall I know this? Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. There's something different about Zechariah, isn't there? And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. <laughs> Zechariah's going, uh-oh. <laughs> and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach from among the people. So there's healing here. 
But there's something that goes way beyond Elizabeth. And while all this is happening, Gabriel, he's a busy guy, <laughs> visits a young girl from Nazareth. Uh, let me tell you about Nazareth. It's right at the border of Galilee and Samaria. Um, the, the Galileans didn't like the people from Nazareth because they were so close to Samaria. The Samarians didn't like the people of Nazareth because they were in Galilee. So a bunch of outcasts, a bunch of people that everybody looked down upon. And so that's where Mary lives, Nazareth. And this angel, Gabriel, has more good news for Mary. We'll talk about how good that news was in a couple of weeks. But he says, although she's betrothed and a virgin, that she's going to have a baby. And that that baby will be the son of the Most High. The angel, Gabriel, tells Mary that she's going to have a baby that's going to be the son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Let's check in on our silent friend, Zachariah, and his wife. Our fourth and last segment, Zachariah's song. Take a look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, Silly woman, none of your relatives are called by that name. That's not what they did back then. And they made signs to his father. Zechariah sent in a corner. He doesn't know what to do. He can't talk. They made signs to his father. And they, they said, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, um, probably an iPad, and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And, and, and it, it's significant that the very first act that we see Zechariah perform after we hear of his doubt is to obey the angel. He does what he was told, to be obedient to the word of God. And with that act of obedience, verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? They see this as supernatural. They see that it's a miracle. For the hand of the Lord was with him. And we see the first faint echoes of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 67. I'm going to go through this with you. Uh, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness, 
before him all our days. And you, child, now he's talking to his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our Lord, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The full gospel laid out before Jesus is born. An incredible prophecy. It's also an incredible proclamation of praise. God has turned Zachariah's doubt into truth. He's made it real. And in the process, Zechariah is transformed. This is kind of important. This was a righteous man. He was as righteous as you could get, still being a human being. Yet, he's transformed. There are things in Zechariah's life that God wanted to address. And the thing that God wanted to address with Zechariah is, can you give me your most broken dream? Can you trust me for your heart's fondest desire when everything points to the fact that it's impossible for that to happen? Do you trust me to make something happen in you that is supernatural, beyond your expectation, beyond your imagination? Zachariah is transformed. He sees it happen. So there's our... Here's our four segments. The spouse, they're a godly couple, good folks, everybody knew, who had long before given up the idea of having a child. Medically, physiologically, it was impossible. But you know what? I'm thinking by that time, they were content. They had moved on. Pleased to be serving God, happy to be spending their later years with each other. They had a good relationship. But Elizabeth was so far beyond childbearing age, there was no expectation of it happening. And by the way, we see their barrenness is not the result of some sin or something they've done wrong. I mean, that's what the people around them thought. But that wasn't what was going on here. They were righteous. They were upright before God. And as much of a struggle as that was for them, don't we find out that it's part of God's plan? When it comes time, God answers their prayer. And at the same time, he answers the prayers of an entire nation and the entire world simultaneously. We see Zechariah's service. He's faithful in his service. He didn't allow his disappointment, his shattered dreams to interfere with his calling, nor with his love for his father in heaven, nor his love for his wife. We saw Zechariah's silence. It was a consequence 
because of his doubt. Was that all it was? Of course it was. But God's consequences, brothers and sisters, God's consequences are always fraught with opportunity. There's always a chance to turn back. There's always a chance to repent. There's always the opportunity to grow. And maybe in Zechariah's case, a chance to carefully ponder what just happened. You understand that he had no choice but to dwell in what he had heard and watch it happen, to watch it unfold in front of him? I believe that silence was a gift. Then the result of all that, we see this song after spending a lot of time with not much else to do than to watch God work out his plan in his family's life. Upon seeing God's word carried out, upon embracing it and obeying it, Zechariah gives us a praise course for the ages. Manages to proclaim the gospel, the full gospel, for the first time in the New Testament. Yes, the silence had consequences. And they were severe. But it was a gift. A gift of being able to ponder and meditate upon God's word in complete silence, without comment, without questions, without doubt. The gift of peace, which turned into a gift of joy. And I want you to look at the progression that happened here. Zechariah and Elizabeth were happy, but burdened. Zechariah was pious and righteous. So was his wife. But he had doubts. And still, still, in spite of the fact that he had doubts, God moved powerfully in their lives. Are they any different than you and me? For the most part, we're happy. For the most part. But individually, we have burdens, don't we? They're not easy to bear. We all have our own secret doubts. We all have our own moments when we're not so sure. God uses Zachariah's time of silence to teach him, to condition him. And when it's over, we see Zachariah's obedience His name will be John, he says. And upon the priest's obedience and repentance, we hear blessing and praise. That's God's plan for the redemption of all mankind. Obedience, confession, and praise. We see it in Zechariah's life, not just in his word. And God plays this out in the life of an obscure Jewish priest even as he plays it out in the history of the Jews. Even as he plays it out in the history of all mankind. There's a deeply profound lesson here. Silence can be a gift. Oh, what do we do with that? I'm going to challenge you. We're in a season where We're we're working up to the observation of the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you give God an hour of silence? Can you be silent before the Lord? I mean, this was imposed upon Zechariah. We have the opportunity to do it to honor God. Sometime over the next week, can you just sit down, maybe with your Bible open, 
not doing a study, not trying to figure it out, just being silent before the Lord. See what he has to say to you instead of making sure that he hears what you have to say to him. That just might be a gift that God wants you to have. I encourage you to do it. I'm going to try it. The end of the year, on, Jan- on December 31st, we will have a, a service of thanksgiving. Maybe some of you will be able to share what God does during your silence at that service. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this. The story of this normal couple. People that practiced righteousness as good as they could, but still had struggles. Oh, Lord, help us to see ourselves in that story. Uh, Help us to see the lessons that Zachariah learned as our lessons, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you put upon us, that we might fully appreciate this gift that the world recognizes Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.